Ben. Well, this is going to be, and it already has been, but is uh, going to continue to be a little different because I'm not going to preach as I typically do. Uh, It's not going to be as long. It's not going to have the same format. Even though I, I will tell you, I did spend just as much time as I would have had I been preaching uh, I didn't slack off in, in any way in doing that, but I want to deliver, and Aaron and I talked about this, more of the best term that we could come up with was a homily, even though I don't know that it even fits that category, uh, but a homily is a conversational commentary on a passage and is um, more personal like this, and so that's kind of what I want to do, I, and I want to do that for a couple of reasons. One is that we aren't gathered in a corporate worship service where a sermon normally takes place, and so the context is different, and therefore... I thought I would do something different since we're all in our homes. Um, but the second is, this passage really seems to lend itself to this sort of thing. It's, it lends itself to this type of delivery or presentation, considering the circumstances that we're in uh, right now uh, as we speak. It's been a dark and gloomy co- 10 days or so. I was going to say two weeks. We're not quite there yet. Um, and it's been dark figuratively, but also literally. I mean, we've had maybe a half a day of sun so far, and we've both observed and we have experienced some pretty extraordinary circumstances uh, over the last 10 days or so, and they've required some unprecedented decisions that we've had to make and many others have had to make, all of which have led to some extreme responses from individuals and institutions, uh, medical decisions, social, political, economic, um, religious levels, everything that you can imagine has been affected by this. And while there is debate going on about whether it's all been necessary or an extreme overreaction, uh, the bottom line is that it is producing, the situation is producing fear and anger Uh, There's been anxiety, there's been sadness and grief, um, and and even hopelessness on the part of some. And all of that creates a fertile soil in which uh, doubt can be planted and take root and bring forth fruit within our hearts. And so we're very fortunate that we serve a sovereign God who is, as I said last week, before all of this, he's in the midst of all this, and he is even... Uh, behind all of this, or as far or in front of all this, um, you know, before we even are, and he's also the one that led us to Leviticus last fall. He's led us to Hebrews, and now we find ourselves today in the midst of this in Hebrews chapter six, at the end of chapter six. Uh, it's not by accident. Uh, many people have been saying, "Well, what are you going to talk on or preach on this week?" I said, "We're staying." right in the lane that we're in because there couldn't be, in my opinion, anything better for us tonight than this particular passage. So I'm going to read the passage, or I've just read it, um, and so I'm going to uh, not read it again, but there are three things that I want to to point out or um, to just share with you. Uh, I am going to pray before we do that, but there are three things. One, I, I want to share what I'm sure about you Um, what I'm sure about the Father, and what I'm sure about Jesus. Okay? So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, would you in these moments encourage us from your word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right? So first, what am I sure about you? 
I want you to know that I feel the same way about you as the author of Hebrews feels about the Hebrew church. I feel sure, to quote him, I feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation about you. You aren't like those who we talked about over the last few weeks that merely profess Christ. I believe you exhibit saving faith in Christ. You exhibit it through your work, again to quote him, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, both past and present. I am sure of better things because you exhibit a love for the Lord and that love is exhibited, for the, the love for the Lord is exhibited through your love for one another. Um, one of the benefits of being a part of a smaller church is that I get to know you. I, I know all of you. I watch you, I listen to you, I follow your social media, though not in a creepy way, um, but I am out there watching and listening, and I know that you love one another, you care for one another, uh, you love to meet together in large groups, small groups, individually, and as families, uh, you serve one another through preparing meals, you share resources, you run errands for one another, you give gifts to one another, you watch each other's kids, you let each other take showers when your electricity and water's been turned off, you let other people, you let uh, uh, families stay in your guest rooms when husbands are, are out of town. Uh, you express concern for one another, you minister to one another, you carry one another's burdens and grief, you laugh together, cry together, encourage one another, you admonish one another, uh, you pray for one another, and none of that is burdensome or contrived. Not one bit of it. And it's evidence of true, and, and fruit of true saving faith. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that that continues, that that does not ever end. So I would encourage you, like he has, don't grow sluggish. Don't grow dull of hearing. Don't give up in doing good. Continue to exhibit these same qualities that you're already exhibiting. Because as you do, the writer says, as you do that particularly in the midst of circumstances that we find ourselves in today, if we do these things, our hope will grow. Actually, the language is that as we do these things, he will fill us up with hope. So it's as we're serving one another, as we're encouraging one another, as we're ministering to one another, that the result of that is we receive hope. And that as we are filled up with hope, we're going to be able to endure. And as we endure, then we will experience and inherit those promises, receive those promises that are ours in Christ, just like Abraham did. So it takes patience. It's not easy. It takes patience, uh, particularly during weeks like these. But the reward will be great. Paul says for us to, to be steadfast and immovable and always abound in the work of the Lord. And, and the Lord, the writer of Hebrews says, won't overlook your work. He's not going to overlook it at all. Which brings me to the second point. What I'm, what I'm sure about the Father. Because what I'm sure about you is very, very important. But more importantly and more significantly, there are things that I'm sure about the Father. And the first is, He's just. He's just and therefore doesn't overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. So while he must and does punish sin and has punished sin, he's carried that out on his son for us, who's paid that debt for us. And because of the work of the son, the father casts our sin as far away from us as the east is from the west. And he remembers that sin no more. But while he doesn't remember our sin, he does remember and will always remember and never forget those things that we do in faith out of love and gratitude for what he has done for us. 
So he forgets our sin, but he remembers those acts of love. He remembers the service. He remembers the kindness that you share to one another and your neighbor. And he, he's going to reward you for that. It may not come, and we may not experience all those rewards now, just as Abraham didn't. But we will eventually when Christ returns and all is made new. Because that's the kind of father that he is. But he's not only just, he's trustworthy and faithful in keeping his promises. His word does not fail because he cannot lie. He is truth, therefore what he speaks is truth and what he speaks is also truthful. And what he promises he will fulfill. He will always fulfill it. And so as we've said repeatedly throughout our study of Hebrews, that just as we did in our study of Galatians, we who have fled from our sin and fled to Christ and found refuge in Christ, and we, those of us who have looked to Him in faith, those who look to Him for the forgiveness of our sins, and those who are looking to Him for His obedience to be imputed to us so that we might be holy and righteous before the Father, we are, in the words of Paul, no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, white, black, red or brown, but we're all one in Christ, and therefore we are spiritual offspring of Abraham. And because we're spiritual offspring of Abraham, the writer says that we look back on that story... We look back at the story of Abraham and we see that the Lord not only made a promise to Abraham, but he confirmed that promise with an oath. And it seems a bit, and, and by the way, he, he confirmed that promise by swearing upon his own name. And we think, well, that's kind of redundant. Why do that? But it's clear from our passage, he did that to show us, us, heirs of the promise, more convincingly the character of God and his purpose. In other words, he did that to help us in our unbelief. He's unchangeable, his word is unchangeable, and what he has purposed and spoken, he will do. He's going to do it. Therefore, we should not be dismayed in the midst of these circumstances, no matter what might come our way, because God has ordained a redemptive plan. That plan is in place, he's currently working out that plan, and nothing is going to thwart that plan at all, so no one or nothing will alter that plan in any way. He's actually working all of these things... Right? For our good. He's working all those things out together for our good, for those who are called according to his unchangeable purpose. And that includes this virus and all the collateral damage and all that's going on socially and culturally and politically and economically. He is working all of these things according to his purpose and his will. And he's going to bring about a desired end in his time that will bring glory to Him, will be for our good, because we've been graciously made a part of His redemptive plan. He's made us a part of that plan. And so we shouldn't be worried or dismayed. We shouldn't even complain because He is at work in us and around us. That's our Father. That's what I'm sure about the Father. Finally, what am I sure about Jesus? Well, Jesus is the ultimate seed. We've, again, through Galatians and, and even Leviticus and now in Hebrews, we know that Jesus is that seed to whom the Father made his promise and through whom the promise is fulfilled. And Paul says, so in Galatians 3, and so it is Jesus who secured our present and our future hope. Our hope is in him. He is our hope. And then this is, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But the writer says he's our forerunner. And we've, we talked several weeks ago that um, that meant that he had gone before us. And so as our forerunner, he's traveled the path 
through the wilderness and he's blazed that path and paved that path with suffering. But he has gone before us. He became a man so that he could sympathize with us in every way. And by sympathizing with us, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He knows our temptations. When we desire to shrink back and forsake our faith and to turn our back on the Lord, he he knows what it means to be tempted to apostatize, which the writer is encouraging us not to do. But his term, this term that he uses in Paul's time is also used to describe a small boat that would be sent out into the bay ahead of a ship that couldn't either because of a low tide or because of a storm that couldn't get in to port. And that ship would go, and it was called a forerunner, and it would take the anchor into the bay and plant that anchor in bay so that the ship was... The, the ship could say, or they would say, that the ship was actually in port or at home. And if, and if storms were blowing, it, it wouldn't be blown away. It wouldn't be taken away by any kind of drift because that anchor was already in, in port. So it, they, were, they were already home, but not yet. Does that sound familiar? I mean, think about that, that we can confidently say, because of, because of what he's saying, Christ has taken, the, the, the writer says that Christ has taken our hope. And he's taken that hope as an anchor, and he hasn't dropped it into the depths of the sea, but he's taken it. As he ascended, he took it into heaven. He went in through the veil into the Holy of Holies, and he planted that anchor right before the Father. So our hope is firmly planted. And the other end of that rope that's tied to that anchor of hope is wrapped around each one of you. It's wrapped around us. Therefore, we can confidently say that we're already home, though not yet. We're sure, just as sure of being home, but we're not yet experiencing that. So when the winds and the storms of life come our way like they are right now, and and we're we're tossed about, but we're firmly planted, we, we will actually not be moved from the position that we're in. We have hope because Christ has done what he's done for us. He, he, he was born for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose again from the grave for us. He ascended for us. He's interceding even now for us. And all of the promises are yes and amen in him. Every single one of them. So the anchor of our hope is firmly established in the presence of, fa- of the Father because Christ himself is there in the presence of the Father and he has taken that anchor and so we don't have to shrink back. And I would encourage you, in the midst of all of these things, don't shrink back. Don't grow weary in doing good. Rest in his work. Continue to minister to one another and, and encourage one another with these words. Look to the Father Rest in the work of Christ. See Him. Continue to minister as you have been with one another. And again, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray.